Welcome to the very first episode of Million Dollar Stories podcast. I couldn't think of a better guest than the man that we have right now, Tony Wadley. I met him at the 10X Growth Con 2, which is almost five years ago. And uh, we got to work together on a few things. I'm in a, a bunch of masterminds that he's a part of. And uh, this guy has changed my life, gave me perspective that uh, not too many other people have given me. So, uh, Tony Wadley, thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, I am not responsible for anything that Mike Fellett does that I disagree with going forward because he gives me all that credit, but we don't know where this is going to end, man. We don't know where this is going to lead. So if uh, you guys get angry at anything I post, it's all because of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with a banger of a question here. Top oh, three books that changed your life, Tony. Man. The first one's that one that's rotating on your back little pedestal there. The one I wrote, right? The one that you helped me write in 2000. I hope that's on your list. That's right. That's got to be on your list. I think the most, if let's be real, guys, if the book that you wrote yourself does not change your life, then you probably didn't put a lot of effort into it or you kind of just did it for a checkbox type moment versus you know trying to make some impact, you know? So you know, I'm not going to talk about my book because that's easy to get into that. But I would say that, one of the things that really pivotal for my life is not really any of the guru stuff or the mindset stuff. And this is kind of a question I put on social media like years ago, right? You know, cause people ask you that, what is the book that impacted your life? And it's actually back there on my shelf buried somewhere. And it's a HTML coding book from 1996, how to code HTML for windows, like, like HTML four. it's really boring shit. Right. But why that book changed my life It's because I was new to the internet in 96, 97, and I started seeing these web pages and understanding graphics. And I started seeing like, man, you could actually make some cool stuff and put it on a computer screen. I'm very artistic and creative and I like to design things. So I said, I have to learn how to do this. So I bought this book at the bookstore because there was no internet really that taught you how to do these kind of things. And, and when I get home from work every night, I would go through that book and I would use notepad and I would code HTML and I teach myself how to build websites. And I taught myself how to use Photoshop and build these rudimentary websites. And that became my first side hustle was just building websites for car parts. I was trading car parts and things like this. Cause I saw a lot of speed shops and manufacturers of parts didn't have websites. So I would thumb through the magazines and I would call their phone number. I go, Hey, I know you don't have a website. I need an exhaust system for my Camaro. Would you like to trade? And they're like, oh, hell yeah, we need a website. And so that was my first side hustle. It was in the late 90s. I was coding and creating graphics for these websites. So that really did change my life because eventually that led to the communities and the things that I built, building those websites and coding all those and doing all the graphics, even all the branding and all the things that you guys see me create today, even that book cover, the ideas. I do that shit myself. Like I'm very visual. I love to design things. And I, I look at the branding and the marketing. So yeah, that book changed my life. So, okay. There's two books. The third book I would say that really impacted me the most is really just a old classic man, Dale Carnegie, like how, oh, how to win Lord. friends and influence other people and, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Like that's a, I think that should be required reading for every person in the world Damn straight. because it could make the whole world just a lot better at communicating, get your point across, being respectful, building influence, becoming an interesting person. And instead of thinking about yourself all the time, it really raises a lot of awareness levels in everybody and how we communicate on social media in person on a stage, asking someone for a date or going on a date. You know, it's like all these things that really impact that book. 
So those three, uh, what's that HTML book called? Man, it's it's called like coding HTML for Windows it's- number six, 1996. And the funny thing is when I posted that post, somebody in my network actually knew the author and they tagged him in it. And then he like, he was like, oh, that's awesome, man. I love to see this kind of stuff. So that's pretty cool. Man, so there, I get to interview a lot of cool people. One of the questions I ask at the end of every interview for their books is basically, hey, uh, what's the book that changed your life? And usually mm-hmm. here are the rich dad, poor dad, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the think and grow riches. But I love when I get these little ones that nobody ever heard of. The book yeah. that changed my life, it's kind of weird to even say this. One of them is a book called Wizard of Ads. All right. Nobody knows yeah. this book. It's Man. just, have you heard, have you read this one? Al? I have no, not. It's have very not. rare, but it taught me this like simple format of a lesson and a story. And whenever I was just drawn to it, talked about like Colonel Parker with Elvis and what he did as a marketer. And I took that format. I'm like, man, that's going to be like every chapter that I ever write for my book. So it just kind of like sunk in and changed the trajectory. And it's not very well known, but Dude, I love when I get those skills, random ones. Man, get the books that teach you skills. I mean, we love the, the business books. We love the mindset books. We love those things, but Unless you're learning an actual skill that you can monetize, which can escalate your income levels and your your what you're doing, like that's that's the real changes when you learn something and apply it. Damn right. I'm looking at your book here, uh, and you mentioned it as one of the game changers for you. Obviously, it's called Side Hustle Millionaire. On Amazon, 334 reviews. I believe that's either the top one, two, or three of all of our clients with reviews. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what has happened since you put this out there. In 2018, I kind of knew you as a guy walking around with a blazer and maybe even a suit. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've seen you evolve and change and has become the 365-driven just mania. So what has happened since you put this book out? What have you heard from people? Your coaching practice has taken off. Mm-hmm. Just kind of outline that journey. And it's been kind of funny because, yeah, I started my first LLC company back in 2001 and sold that for millions in 2007. And so I had a lot of the knowledge and the experience and things like that for several years. And I'd helped several of my friends and former staff members build seven, eight and nine figure companies for the last 15 years. So I've really created millionaires, like legitimately have done that. And awesome. I just did that privately. Right. So I had the knowledge I had the experience, I had the confidence and the repeated results, but nobody wanted to hear my stuff, man. Like nobody, <laughs> I would go, I would go try to pitch myself for a it's- podcast interview or try to author a, an article for some kind of a blog or a website or something like that. And I'm a published author. I, I had magazines. I used to write for all the big automotive magazines. You can go search that. I'm a motor trend staff and like big names, right? I've done that for years, but getting into the business space is where I had a lot of passion and nobody really wanted to hear it because I didn't have, I guess, Google relevance or social media followers. And I know that a lot of you probably are relating to this. You, you probably think like, man, I do have this experience and I do want to teach people and I'm doing this for the right intentions and nobody gives a damn. And, and it's like, okay, how do I establish authority in this world? And it's just, okay, go create a book. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to write a book, I want it to be a bestseller. I want it to actually do something. I wanted to create some impact. Like, I'm not just going to go check the box and go, hey, I'm going to create a book, throw it out there and hope that it does well. Right. And so I'm an engineer. I'm a project manager by trade and long time and career in that. So I said, okay, if that's the desired result and I wanted to be able to sell this thing and be able to get in a bestseller status, like how do we deconstruct that as a goal? It's a project, right? You start to work backwards from the goal, the objective. And, and that's where I started looking around and I saw that different people were trying to help people create books. And you were really focused on that. Like, man, I'm going to help you get bestseller. 
I'm going to help you get bestseller. And you and I both know that there's varying levels of bestsellers. So anybody rolling their eyes and saying like, oh, you could be the number one bestseller of toe fungus and like foot remedies category of Amazon. And that's true. You could, you could. I think that was my first category that I was a bestseller. You know, maybe that's the one I need to go conquer to take you off that pedestal, right? Toe jam, fungus uh, recovery methods, (laughs) And I'm going to change it to the, the the philanthropy and the psychology around that. So they're even more twisted, right? So yeah, you guys go look at my stuff and see the stuff that it, my book actually compared to. Like all the big names of Gary V, Donald Trump, Smashed them. Simon Sinek, like all of them. My little self-published book that you see there rotating on went, went above all of them. You know, so it was a little category, right? And so, yeah, there are varying levels of best-selling author. We're not going to deny that. We can get yep. you the status, but so I was like, cool. Now here's where it changed. Okay. As soon as that happened and you start sharing these kind of things and people are kind of getting excited, they're seeing the momentum of this and it's really selling. And they're starting to see that I actually defeated Donald Trump when most people couldn't. And, and they're like, <laughs> holy shit, like this guy's book's taken off. It sold over a thousand copies the first week, right? Legit. And now, all of a sudden, I had people coming to me asking for interviews like, hey, man, can we bring you on this show? Can we have you come speak at this event? And so it no longer became me chasing the opportunities. Opportunities started to show up for me. And, I, and it was quick. Within the first month, people were knocking on my door. I was on interviews almost every week. And it was a beautiful thing. It's like, dude, I had all the information. I just didn't have the attention. I didn't have the influence. I didn't have the authority. So that's why the book, dude, changed my life. It's beautiful. Yeah, the audio version. I'm reading some of these uh, these reviews here. The author Tony really helps you get the side hustle mindset and how to look ahead at the goal. It's not a get rich BS scam. It's the not the nuts and bolts, but like the wrenches in a toolbox to help you get started. The side hustle mindset, right? This is how you grew your business. And maybe if you guys don't know his backstory, he was in the corporate lifestyle and he was doing really well. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if you kind of want to hint uh to that to that story when you made the shift and maybe the 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 culture shock of you stepping away from the the corporate mindset starting your business what people were saying i love talking to people who are in the corporate world who are trying to break free and they're looking for that person that example who has done it and uh, i think when they see someone like you who has escaped from the golden handcuffs if you will it just gives them a little bit more motivation to chase it. So can you explain what it was like when you went from corporate lifestyle, doing really well, to yeah. saying, you know what, the hell with it. And maybe it has to do with that Dodge Viper accident. Maybe not. <laughs> so tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to put some context in here. I want not nobody. I don't. I, yeah. I love entrepreneurship. I love entrepreneurs. That's my client base nowadays. But I see, see a lot of entrepreneurs doing some fucked up stuff. They're not doing things properly. And a lot of the things I learned from corporate managing hundreds of millions of dollars, not just little baby projects like components and joint ventures and mergers and acquisitions and international projects, high risk, million dollar a day operational burn rates. I, I, I managed very, very big level things in the Fortune top 10 companies. Right. And so you can't you'd be an you'd be an idiot to think that I didn't learn things that could apply to small business processes, systems, leadership. I've literally had millions of dollars invested into me to become a leader in those categories where I could take those things and apply them to the small businesses. And that's one of the reasons that my small businesses were very successful, even though I didn't have to work them full time. I mean, I was a part-time business that made seven figures, mm-hmm. right? It's because I knew under and I understood processes, systems, leadership, 
all these things to being able to automate things so that I didn't have to operate these things and be there every single day. So I have zero regrets from the, the the corporate world and the things that I learned and the investments that were made into me, right? So those things greatly benefited me in the corporate. So I see a lot of people, you know, boohooing like oh, entrepreneurship's the only way. And like, if you have a job, that sucks. Like, most jobs do suck. I'm not going to lie. Most, let's say 75% of jobs suck and you hate working there. But what can you learn while you're there that could make you a more intelligent person or have more awareness or more leadership or more skills, you better start being the one that raises your hand and has opportunity to try to gain things that maybe you can take with you when you do to go decide to stop that business. Right. And so how do I shift? Like, dude, I was making more money for about 15 years, legit making more money in my side businesses than my multiple six figure salary. Right. Mm -hmm. And people are always asking me like, why don't you go do that full time? I mean, you're making more money over there. It's like, well, I don't have to be there to operate those companies. I can actually enjoy it as a consumer and it doesn't take a little, maybe, maybe three or four hours a week of my time. Like, what am I going to do with the rest of the time? Like, I might as well come over here and make 200 grand plus doing these things and learning new skills at the corporate level at the same time. Right. And so I didn't have this urgency to jump ship and go be a full-time entrepreneur just based on the way I created my businesses. Now, 2015 was different. I was starting to work right under the, the vice president level these companies. And I started to see the bureaucracy and the political things that go on and making these unethical decisions. And when it's your name and your signature that's being asked to be put on some of these agreements, you start to feel a little uneasy. You know, you start to realize like, man, I, I hope this stuff wasn't true, but here it is. And now I'm the one that's going to have to approve this kind of stuff. Like that's kind of going against my core values and my integrity. And I legitimately have resigned to multiple six-figure salaries because of unethical things that I observed and I just said, hey, I can't play along with this and I don't want to be a part of this company anymore. And, you know, my wife would be a little bit shocked by that, but she'd always supported it. She realized like I'm very strong in my morals and my ethics and I was not going to be willing to be bought for that. So I just understood, dude, it's not going to get any better. These companies, the higher we get, the more things that we see that we're not supposed to see. And it's just, you know, for example, you know, like it's against the law to bribe, right, to get things done. It's against the law to bribe. So yeah. they get really creative because... The United States likes to hold itself on a really high pedestal. Like we don't do this. We have all these laws, but it's all bullshit, right? It's all fabricated because we can call a bribe an expediting fee. And I can write a purchase order for a million dollars for just expediting fee when we all fucking know it's a bribe, right? <laughs> that goes on every day in these big industries. And yep. yeah, it's illegal. But what if they were to come back and trace that back and go, well, was that a bribe? Well, I don't know. What was the service that they provided? Oh, it's an expediting fee. And we're not supposed to ask what that is. You know, that's the kind of stuff. So I corporate level, just dude, I, I, you climb higher, you get closer to the fire. I said, I don't want to do this for the next 20 years of my life. I want to go help other people and make more impact instead of income. So yeah, the, the Dodge Viper crash, we can, we can definitely talk about that. That was the end of 2015. Had a near-death experience. I hit a concrete wall at the drag strip at 130 miles per hour. And in that moment approaching the wall, I thought I was going to die. I even said to myself, well, here I go. Yep. And I had no major injuries. I had my safety gear on, but man, that car was destroyed. I, there's photos of it that I put out there on the internet so people could see like the destruction. And dude, it changed my life. You go, you go through a series of questions when that happens to you, man. Defining moments. Uh, I like to dig into those defining moments. That was definitely one. So after you got out of that accident, maybe it took a little bit of time, more realization that you needed to focus on your strengths. 
and create more impact. Did you live differently because of it? And I know you made a post, I think it was the other day about how don't wait for a near death experience for yeah. you to actually start living in accordance with your, your one true self. So tell me how you were different after that. Well, see, I was, I was living in a imaginary world. I think we all have this awareness. Okay. When we pursue what we call the American dream, right? When you grow up broke, that's go make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Let's be real. That's the way people still think. And it's how yeah, vast great. majority middle-class America thinks like, Hey, go make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You live the American dream, especially if you go from zero to hero. Right. And so I did that pretty early in my career. In my mid twenties, I was making a hundred thousand with engineering that I put myself through school. I was like, okay, cool. I got this. And you know, and when you get to those levels, you start to look around and you go, man, I don't feel rich. I don't really feel like I have freedom. I start to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. I start to raise my hand to ask for vacation time. I start to raise my hand if I want to come in late for work or I get told what I have to wear. Like you don't have freedom. Like, and this doesn't really go away because a lot of you guys are like, well, you know, I make a lot more money than that. And yeah, but you're still having to show up from to, for office posted hours and you still got a supervisor that you hopefully like, but most of the time you don't. And so you're still being dictated with your life and you're, you're negotiating how many days off you get a year as part of your salary package. Like that's not freedom, dude. That's that's false freedom. You believe it because maybe you're sitting prettier than everybody else in your friend group. But when you look at the grand scheme of things, when guys like me that can just go jump on a jet and go anywhere in the world today, if I want to, and nobody is going to tell me what to do, and I can afford to go do that, and I can go with who I want to and spend the time with the things, doing the things I enjoy, right? That's true freedom. And the other freedom that most people don't have is the fear of, this is what you do exceptionally well, man. It's uh, the fear of criticism, hmm. fear of judgment. Yeah, Like if you don't have the... The, the freedom to, to not worry about critics and uh, the cancel culture, what people are going to call your boss and get you fired. Like you don't really have freedom then, do you? And then some people will be like, oh, well, you know, uh, I don't want to be like that on the internet anyways. Well, you know what the thing is, is that we all have opinions. We all have strong opinions about things. And if you're afraid to put those things out there because you're so worried about the dollars and the income that you have, then you're not really creating the amount of impact that's possible because you're holding back. You're like 80%, 70%, 50%. You're not your true self, even if you believe things different. So dude, it's a uh, get out there and, and just be yourself, man. Yeah. I've, I've seen you really go hard at, at authenticity and maybe it's since 2020. I just mm -hmm. got angry in 2020. I said, you know what? I'm sick of wearing these masks pun intended, right? I was wearing this mask to just try to get clients. But then I shifted and I said, you know what? It's time to start. It's time to start focusing on friends to do business with. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, I need to really show who I really am inside. And I've noticed you and maybe we were right from the beginning to own, mm -hmm. telling people exactly what it was like and what, how we felt about things. There was a backlash. I'm sure you felt maybe, right? I mean, I would assume. Yeah. So I definitely did, but it was a great backlash. So, uh, you know, when you started to dive into that, maybe you were doing it prior to it, but 2020 was a great moment in time to see who you really are. Is that right? Yeah, we're both very patriotic. We're, we're I mean, you have a flag on the back of your wall. Or I'm a son of a Marine combat vet from Vietnam. So I grew up in a very patriotic household, right? And so I understand that, we should protect our freedoms. Now, I'm not saying that the far right has all the answers, and I'm not saying the far left has all the answers. They definitely don't have many answers, a lot of idealism and emotional shit that doesn't really work in real life. But 
I'm a moderate that leans right. And I think that I like to be able to not attach myself to either side because I like to think for myself. And the way I think for myself is I go look at the evidence and the data and the experience and the wisdom and results from both sides. And you start to formulate an opinion. And this is how you become, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson's version of self-reliant. You have to be willing to change your perspective, given new information, discoveries, data, revelations. And most people are unfortunately not going to do that. So I call them thought repeaters instead of thought leaders. Because if you're out there just sharing headlines, never really challenging why you believe the way you do, not really exploring where that belief system came into your life, whether that was your parents or people that were mentors to you or people that we didn't have any basis of reference of being right or wrong at a young age. And we just took that as like a sponge. You got to be able to think about these things that we see going on in the world, like people shutting down businesses and people being forced to wear these stupid cloth masks that can't even block dust particles, but they're expected to block a, a micro small, like viral thing. Like this is a bunch of bullshit. Like even the mask boxes back then said, this does not protect you against viral or bacterial infections. It's like, we're literally being stupid here because people just want the optics. They wanted to say like, I'm doing my part. I'm going to go get this to save grandma. And then you get the media and the government telling you that you're going to go kill people if you don't do what we say. Like this is bunch of asinine stuff. And now what's the result? No long-term testing results back then. Everybody was experimental, but they're being forced to keep their jobs and been things like this. Like it's a bunch of bullshit, man. And nowadays we see literally see people dropping dead, like left and right, left and right every day. It's like crazy what we see these young people just dropping dead, you know, and they call it what SADS, S-A-D-S. I I, I actually changed the acronym to that. I I call it syringe. syringe assisted death syndrome is what it should be called that's exactly what it is man that is scary that you could see that many people just fall for something and uh you know when i'm looking at people respond nowadays like even with that football player uh who went down in front of everybody yeah there are people who came out right away and said well it can't be can't be the vaccine can't be no no no. wait there's a possibility it is and the fact that you are saying that it can't be, you're defending something yes. because there's an emotional attachment to now you admitting that you're wrong if there is a possibility. And that scares the hell out of those people, right? It's like buyer's remorse. It's just injected, injected remorse, you know, because it's like when you buy something and you're going to just defend it to the end and say that this is the right choice. And I love this thing. And I love my Android. I love my Apple. Like all these products, that's just another identity that... I'm vaccinated. I mean, people were fucking putting it on their profiles. Like I'm vaccinated and I'm ready to like, who gives a fuck? We really don't give a fuck. Right. So (laughs) when you build that as your identity, it makes it even harder for you to backtrack. You know, the, the people that did this quietly, they can be a little bit more vocal because like, dude, I fell for this shit. I disagree with it now. Like, but if you baked your entire identity around getting vaccinated or wearing a mask and shaming other people that didn't do what you do, like, fuck off. Like you're a bad human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Has your tribe changed the circle around you, the people that you listen to follow? I mean, has that changed over the past couple of years? And maybe the next question I want to ask is what have you learned about yourself? What have you, since all this happened, even maybe in the past year or two, have you learned anything new? Man, I think that I was always a little bit polarizing and blunt and and putting the things out there. But you're, you're right. We do change. We we evolve from that. We get a little more confidence and certainty in things we believe because we do the research. And it's not like we just regurgitate headlines. Like people that hang out on Twitter all day and just regurgitate headlines, like 
They're fucking dumb. I don't care which side of the aisle they're on. They're just fucking dumb. They're just regurgitating, resharing shit. They're not really doing any research. You know, I'm an engineer. I like to do research. I, I will see a headline. I go, hmm, I don't know if I believe that. Let me go down the rabbit hole and just see all the references. And I'll go dig deep, like pages and pages and pages of deep. And I'll go, okay, cool. You know, maybe that headline is 50% accurate, right? And maybe I'm not going to share that. Or maybe I'm not going to make a statement until more data or more evidence is revealed. Like I see a lot of times people jump to conclusions nowadays, like right away. And then they had to backtrack, but you never see the people really apologize for being wrong. It's both sides are guilty of this shit. They'll go share something and then evidence will come out two or three days later that disputes it. And they will never go back and say, man, I was wrong because they're not a thought leader. A thought leader will say, hey, you know what? I was very bold about that thing that I believed in yesterday. And I know that I shared this stuff. But today, given the new evidence, I believe this. And that's what a thought leader is. They change, right? They morph. They yep. they ask great questions. I think the greatest so, leaders ask very good questions, and that's internally and then outside also. Yeah. And then the more you ask questions, the more you start to see trends in people. Some individuals will lie to you, and they'll try to bury the truth, and then you can actually dig into it and figure out, okay, this person's inquisitive. They're curious. I want to be around them because they think for themselves, that's and it. they're drawn to those people. Yeah. Don't be afraid to piss off the people that are in your current circle if you disagree with them. And if they react emotionally to something that you disagree with, then maybe they wouldn't they weren't good in your circle in the in the beginning in the first place. Maybe they were just the pack mentality and they thought you guys all did the same thing. And it's just not, dude. You got to be willing to stand alone. I mean, if you want to be outstanding, it means standing out. Damn straight. Good point there. Uh the 365 driven brand, that does stand out. Can you tell me when that came to you? And maybe there are people who come to me all the time saying, hey, I don't even know where to start with my brand. You're a branding guy, but more so than that, I think you're really like a business guy that's helping people sell their businesses now. So mm -hmm. when it comes to a brand, um, 365 Driven, what does it stand for? Where did it come from? And how can you like maybe take what you've learned and help someone else kind of figure out their own personal brand or just brand in general? Yeah, I think when you start with brands, you have to look at what is the objective of this brand? Is it just a B2B product or service that's just going to sit on a shelf or maybe get sold that's without marketing? You know, what is the intention behind the brand? Well, I'm a community builder. I built hundreds of thousands of people community. So I understand community. So I said, okay, I want to build an entrepreneurship community. So that was my objective. So when you understand that the brand is intended for that, now I'm going to go focus on what's available because I have to go look at the trademarks and things that are out there and understand like what I can't do. I don't want to infringe and get into legal issues. What are the domain names for your website that are available out there that are not taken? And you start to do this kind of search. So you may have a hundred ideas and then you go kind of searching through those kind of things and you narrow off probably half of those things right away because somebody's using them or somebody's got the domain locked up or Maybe it just didn't make sense, right? And so you kind of whittle it down. And for me, 365 Driven is like a mantra. It's like, what's something that I can believe in? You know, we learned from examples of, you know, if I were to build a, a shirt that says that or a bumper sticker, would people know what that means? You know, what does that mean? If I walked up, up to a perfect stranger on the sidewalk and I said, hey, man, are you 365 Driven? They would probably know pretty quickly what that means. Okay, 365 days of the year, driven, daily driven. Yeah, yeah, I guess I am. Cool. Like they would know what that means without even knowing what the business is, right? So make a brand statement that represents the audience or the community that you want to build in my in my perspective. Right there. my One of my favorite yeah. hats. 
365 driven the gi joe that's it one of my favorite toys as a kid man oh god yeah so i you know speaking of which there's a sense of play in the great business owners i really sense that whenever i interview some of these top dogs Mm -hmm. you seem to be playing in everything when it comes to your cars to growing businesses to going on these trips to the events itself you make sure you have fun. And I think there are people out there who do the hustle, the grind, and they look miserable and they think they're progressing. I've realized nobody really follows those people because they're not living an ideal life. If, but yeah. there's a sense of kid in them. There's a sense of play. Man, well, you know, you have my attention if you have that. Is that right? Like, have you noticed that too? Man, this is going to be some good truth bombs on this segment right here. <laughs> so... The hustle and grind mentality. I've lived that probably about 10 years of my life. Most of my 20s was that where I was working full time in construction as a welder and a pipe fitter. And then I would go home and shower really quickly and I would go straight to college and I would go to college university at night from like 7 to 10 p.m. And I'd come home and I'd study and I'd go to sleep at 3 a.m. And I'd get back up at 6 a.m. and I'd go back to my job. And on the weekends, I would wait tables in restaurants and I would also work on cars as a mechanic on Sundays because the restaurant wasn't open in the morning. So I understood the 24 seven hustle and grind. I was sleep deprived. I actually had more gray hair back in my twenties than I do now. And it's really weird. And it's not because I dye my hair. It's because stress and sleep deprivation and bad diets actually do change your physiological state. Right. And so I lived that and I, and I, and I didn't hate it. I, there was, it was tough. It was really hard. Right. But I was also getting advice from people that really weren't qualified to give me this kind of advice. Right. And think about this job site. Okay. Construction site, everybody that's worked blue collar construction can relate to this. There's always somebody there. That's what I call the Bubba. There's always a Bubba. It's probably their actual nickname, right? They probably have the belt buckle that says Bubba on it. Their, their license plate literally probably says Bubba on it. It's not the real name, but that's what everybody calls them. Bubba's the guy that's 50 years old. He's got the big dually. He's got the side-by-side. He's got the big boat. His house is a little bit bigger. He's got a little bit nicer shit. And everybody wants to be like Bubba because Bubba sits at the head of the lunchroom table and he tells you about how many OT hours he's crushing and uh, how he's hustling, grinding and doing all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so he's really bragging about trading units of his time for units of dollars any way he can. Right. And when you're young, when you're 20s, you're impressionable. You see these guys that have more fancy shit than you. And you go, man, I want to be Bubba, too. I want to be just like Bubba. I want to do the hustle and grind. I want to be a man. And I want to do all this stuff just like Bubba, because I want that stuff, too. This is a lot of middle class America. All of us, probably. Right. The old mentality. Yeah. We believe this stuff. We learn these things from people that really aren't qualified to teach us what freedom is. Right. And so you go down that path and I see these people on social media, especially people in their 20s, 30s, maybe in some of their 40s that have never kind of gained the wisdom or the maturity to snap out of that to understand that that's a means to an end and it's not really healthy for you. And it's something maybe you can do momentarily, but you shouldn't make that your branding or your identity, right? So they're all stressed out and crying about how entrepreneurship is so tough and it's lonely and like it's all the negative shit, right? They're all focused on negative shit. You know what? But if all these billions of people that had jobs wanted to go on the internet and bitch about their jobs, they could make equally good or impactful content as you because you're complaining about your situation that you chose to be in, right? 
And so that's one thing. Quit learning from Bubba's in any industry. Start focus on people that have the lifestyle and the mentality and the attitude and the character that you truly want to exemplify. And then go pursue them. Go understand how they do it. Maybe you're going to start to find that they do things a little bit different. And finally, the guys that we see that are kind of always like hustling grind that are like my age, they're like telling you that you got to go work crazy hours and everybody's a bitch if they don't do this. You know what I've seen that most of them have in common? They owe people money. Oh. They've taken on investments. They've got friends that have invested in them and they're not getting the results that they promised. So the only way that they can show that they're trying as hard as they can is to get on that hustle bullshit crybaby culture. Wow. Good point there. Yeah, I, th- I see a lot of people who, uh, you know, take pride in their their hard work, but it seems like they're never getting ahead. And uh, you do have to th- start thinking a little smarter than the average bear and play this game differently. And nowadays, you're out there traveling. You're living a life. You even said one time to me, don't take pride in trying to build a company with thousands of employees. I'm trying to build a company as small as possible that makes the most impact. So it's a little bit more efficient than the average company out there. And I don't think a lot of people take that to to heart until later in life. Hey, I want to run a life that is something that I dream of. I want to walk away at any time, come back whenever I want. That's what you and Lisa do. Dude, it's another belief that we carry into our adulthood. So when I was young and even most of my 20s, I thought to be a business owner, you had to start rich or somebody had to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars because how else am I going to get that building on Main Street with my last name on the window saying what service I provide or what I sell? And so it takes money to make money, all these bullshit things that you learn. And so when you're broke, you go, I'm just never going to be a business owner. She's not made for me, you know, and the thing is, is that you identify like these people that have these giant buildings and build a lot of employees and they're, they're all hustle, humble bragging on the internet about the revenue numbers. You know, I'm a, you know, $5 million this, $10 million this, $100 million this. Like, dude, I'm a business coach nowadays. I get to see the P&Ls of a lot of different types of business models. Not all of them are good, right? Some of them are eight-figure companies revenue-wise, but they're making less profit than a low seven-figure company. Different business model, different type of pursuit, right? So you need to start to understand what is the business model that will get you to the lifestyle that you would like to have and the income levels that you would like to have and realize that quit just doing things to chase money. Because if you're taking advice, again, from these business owners who are just talking about their top-line revenue, I want to know what their profit is. And if you want to know what their profit is, go look and see what their lifestyle looks like. That's a pretty good indicator. You know, are they traveling? Are they having a lot of time off? Are they spending a lot of time with their families? Are they, do they have all the nice material things? I don't think there's anything wrong with material possessions, but do they have the lifestyle that you want? Do they have the freedom that you want? Start paying attention to the people that have the results you want instead of the people trying to use their numbers as marketing. I get to uh, be a part of a bunch of masterminds. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, you, you meet people online and then if you go and meet them in person, they might be a little bit different. And uh, I, I that's why I, I love hanging out with you and, and you know, the, the David Breyers and, you know, Roger Wakefields, yeah. They're the real deals, right? So like, have you, I mean, are you very selective on the masterminds you join based off of, okay, you've met, you've met a lot of bullshitters in your life, guaranteed. Yeah. But hanging out with you in, uh, where were we, Maine, right? Mm-hmm. We're up there. It's, you know, uh, in the mountains, right where they filmed Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 1. Or- You're such a nerd by that, by That's the way. Great. You're such it's- a nerd. 
<laughs> I couldn't believe we were there. I'm like, whoa, they filmed the movie here. You see the real person. And I think that yeah. that's why, I mean, you still make it, you, you're financially set. You still make it a point to go to these events and meet new people to see how they live and, you know, how they do business, um, you know, as people. So why is that so important? Because I think a lot of people are like, ah, just do it online and uh, I don't have to go anywhere and I don't do anything. You still will travel for these type of events just to get to know the people. And I'm assuming it's all about relationships. It's how I was able to excel so fast. So what do you say about that? Those people out there who are struggling, I guarantee it has to do with maybe they're not putting effort into the right relationships, right? I would say you should focus on quality versus quantity when it comes to networking and relationships. I think quality is far more important than the quantity of people that you meet. Now, you and I both know a lot of people that go to all of these events. They're like every single one of them and every single group, and they're not on the stage. They're just going as attendees, okay? I'm going to give you guys a little tip here because maybe you don't have the awareness of this yet. If you're the person that goes to every single event, and you think that's just because you're trying to be supportive of whoever's on the stage and you're trying to network and things like that, but your financial situation hasn't really changed in years, your business hasn't changed in years, your fitness hasn't changed in years, you're not really applying anything. You're just going to all these things because you get the endorphin release and you like the being the energy in the room and seeing people and giving people hugs. We all like to do that. I get this. Okay. But here's the thing. If you're trying to build real influence and you're making yourself really accessible and really involved in all these things, I have to tell you, it goes back to the laws of supply and demand. The more supply of yourself that you put out there, the less demand of you that exists. So quit being a fucking whore and going to all these events and thinking it's about networking. Because if you really want to make an impact, go get the results of the things that those people on the stage are actually teaching you, right? Go apply those things get the demonstrable results and show the people that how you're doing this and why it's working. And then you start to get more influence and you'll start to be on bigger shows. And maybe you'll actually be on the stages at those events. And then you don't have to attend all these events as an attendee, which diminishes your demand. Great point there. Yeah. You become a whore basically just going everywhere and you're not soaking up anything. You just think no. that the activity leads to results as in just going. No, it's what you do whenever you leave the event. That's really what matters. That's it. Uh, you, uh, we, we, we get on these monthly calls and I'm a part of a couple masterminds with you, but monthly calls, we talk about like the production studios that, uh, that we should be working on. Like we are not just business owners, right? We're a production company almost going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know, I think that's going to be more relevant in the future because of AI. And this is sort of shifting gears. AI is going to disrupt so many businesses. And that's why I think a personal brand doing things like this, having services that you offer that uh, maybe it's sort of like a SaaS program amongst many within your business. Tell me about AI, what your thoughts are. I've seen chat GPT. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm seeing my team use it with social media posts, but with pictures, videos. It is getting scary, but very, very exciting. You just hosted a call about yeah. AI. And uh, tell me a little bit about what you think is going to be coming down the pike. I mean, I think that there's big leaps in technology and, and we can look back in history. Anytime there's been a big leap in technology, internet was one of the big leaps. I think AI is also the next big leap. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that resist it because it sounds really high technical. They're, you know, when you hear the word artificial intelligence and you don't know anything about it, you don't know how to build websites, you don't know all the digital and the technical type, you know, jargon. It sounds a little bit 
you know, like intimidating, like, oh man, like this is going to be like newfangled stuff that I'm going to have to learn all kinds of crazy stuff. But so you resist it. You initially put it out there like, oh, you know, like people are more important and, you know, uh, you know, the Terminator is going to happen and, you know, all this stuff may happen. Right. But you're not going <laughs> to stop it. It's not going to, you are not going to stop it. You know, John Connor, sorry, bro. Like you don't exist right now. So <laughs> you might as well play along and understand this thing. Like you may not have to embrace it, but I think it, everybody should go, you know, do some research and understand how they may apply that. It may benefit you or your company or things like that. So understand how to use it. And the beauty of AI is it's actually really simple, especially with interfaces like chat GPT, which is programmed to have conversations. It's like you just type in questions and things like this, and it has a conversation with you. And you can refine each question and it keeps giving you results. And it's like speaking to somebody that's read every single book and looked at every single website and has all that information in their head. And you're able to ask them the questions and it, it spits out the answers and things like that right away. So how can you not think that this is useful for your business or your oh. content creation? I think one of the main things that's going to help is like when you have that writer's block or you a creative block and you go, man, I don't really know what I want to make a video about today. I don't know what I should post about today. Well, you can go to chat GPT and go, Hey, what are the top 25 topics for a business coach for content creation? Like what are the tw top 25 questions I could answer? And it's literally going to do its due diligence and kind of scan what it knows and spit out what it thinks are the top 25 topics that you could probably answer as a business coach. It's like, cool. Which of these 25 are the five most that could create the most interaction or engagement? And it'll go, I think that these five are the best. And you say, cool. From those five, Create video headlines or hooks for each of those with a maximum of six words each, and it will create the titles for those five, six questions that you've asked. And if you don't like it, you go, hmm, those are pretty good, but could you add humor to each of those titles, maximum of seven words each? And it will literally rewrite those things that are funny so they grab people's attention. So now you've got the hooks, the, the content ideas, now you just got to go create it. You just got to go create it. But if you had that writer's block, that creator's block, you didn't know what to create. Like, I don't know what content to create every single day. Like this is taking your excuses away right here. AI is going to be crazy. It's you need to learn how to use it. If you're in business, it's a tool. And if you let mm -hmm. it go and you ignore it, it's going to come back to bite you because other mm -hmm. people in your industry are, and they're going to just fly by you. So I agree. Um, you said something there about humor. And uh, I want to touch on this before we wrap up. You started taking improv classes and, uh, you know, adding comedy to your posts, to your videos, to your to your podcasts. Uh, this has helped you with your storytelling techniques. Can you explain why you started doing improv? And maybe it does apply just to your speaking gigs because you were very natural when it comes to speaking. But I would assume this added little tool that you have gives you a competitive advantage. I will correct you there. I was not natural at public speaking. I've never been that natural. I, that's a skill that we learn. Okay. I, I had stage fright. I didn't like being on camera. I didn't like the recorded sound of my voice, like all the insecurities and self-doubt that we carry. I had that. Right. And so I had to go learn public speaking. And I did that through Toastmasters and private coaching, did that for years, the high level reps. I did videos every single day for over a year to practice what I was learning in public speaking. So it makes it look easy now, but it was a lot of investment, a lot of repetitions, a lot of tactical skills that I had to learn to be able to communicate the way I do like this on the podcast or on the stage. And so 
what's the next step or the next level? Like, man, comedy, like there's always different levels to things, even at public speaking. A lot of times people think they're a public speaker because they presented slideshows. They're like, oh, I don't need public speaking coaching or training because I've done slideshows at work. And guys, I did that for 25 years and I was a horrible public speaker just because you can present something doesn't make you entertaining. doesn't make you an engagement. It doesn't make you have their attention. Like you don't know how to storytell. There's a lot of tactics we do with public speaking that you can only learn by being in a class or with lessons or with a coach. So I said, okay, I'm going to add to this. I want to add another layer of that. So improv comedy is this. Okay. Here's a distinction between public speaking and improv comedy. Okay. When you go do public speaking, whether that's Toastmasters or with a coach, you're constantly refining you. Your message, your branding, the way you speak, your vocal inflections, your pacing, all those things are you. Like It's always, how do I become the best version of me and the way I communicate? Well, improv blows that all to pieces. Improv, you step on the stage. And if I take the stage with you, Mike, and you said, hey, man, you're kind of a sexy 85-year-old grandma. I would have to act like a sexy 85-year-old grandma. And so I'm not rehearsing Tony and me and my voice and my cadence. I have to use their voice, their mannerisms, think like them, operate like them. And so it removes all the things that you pre-program into becoming yourself. And it makes you a lot quicker with your feet because you're always trying to figure out how do I add more value to this story and keep it going till we get to the punchline. So we get the audience reaction. So there's different levels. And yet I finished a year. It was a one-year type course. It was five courses, eight weeks each. And yeah, it was a blast, dude. It was really hard at first. And after a while, you know, the probably two, three in, you start to realize like the technical details, the nuances of it. But yeah, it will make you a better public speaker. It'll make you a better host. It'll make you a better content creator when you have that awareness, just like anything. Yeah. The the ability to take what you learn there and apply it to every video or every podcast yeah. you go on. I mean, that's immeasurable. Uh, if you can get comfortable when things start going wrong, right? And if you put yourself in a world where it's very uncomfortable for for a long yeah. time and you can manage that, then anytime you get on a stage and you probably experience this sound techno uh, technical problems, right? Yeah. Or lights are blaring or going right into your eyes or you just yeah. can't hear everything. You got to just be very witty and you got to keep their attention. And I think you said something there is pretty important. You have to learn to entertain as you educate. And if you can yes. do those two things, you can become very powerful when it comes to being a great communicator. If you can articulate things in a way that keeps people's attention, you can dominate in business and in life. So that's awesome. The book Dude. is called A Side Hustle Millionaire. Uh, this is Tony Wadley. You can go and see what he has upcoming in his website, 365driven.com. Do you have anything that's upcoming, maybe an event or anything you want to share with our uh, with, with with the first episode guests that they're watching this live or in the recorded version? Man, I'll, I'll say that, yeah, we're wrapping up details on our first event for 23. It's going to be in Portugal. We're going to go back international. That'll probably be in sometime in June. Don't have the official dates and the contract signed, but, you know, be prepared. Mid-June is kind of what we're looking at. If you want to go to Portugal with a bunch of entrepreneurs and get to see some amazing parts of the country. And we got some cool stuff. We always have some cool events. I got, you know, so, uh, but I would say that I'll, I'll put a call out there, man. If you guys have events and you'd like me to become a speaker or come on your show, like contact me, go to my website at 365driven.com. You'll find my podcast, and all the book stuff that we've been talking about. But yeah, I'd love to get on some more big stages out there to talk about business owners and mindset and things like that. So I want to have a great year with that regard. So I appreciate this opportunity, Mike.
Yeah, man. You, uh, you were the first person I reached out to. I know you've been telling me for a very long time, Mike, you got to have a podcast. I just didn't even know how to do this, you know, getting yeah. the good camera, the, the mic. And, uh, since I saw you really elevate your game, I'm like, I, he, I can't, he can't leave me behind. I got to stay with this guy. If you want to run with big <laughs> dogs, you know, you're asking for a lot. You got to stay with them. So thanks for being here, man. This has been an honor to uh, talk with you. And uh, I know you're working on a new book, so stay tuned for that, guys. It's coming out That's here very it. soon. That's and uh, remember, guys, a million-dollar book will lead to a million-dollar life. Live free and write on.